All right, good morning. How is everyone? Everybody's good but the Aggies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thought I was going to start with the Astros, but I didn't. The Aggies. I hate that. Anyway, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 17, 1 to 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 17, 1 to 13. And we're going to finish our series called The Unexplainable Life. As we're sort of getting situated in our copy of God's Word, I do want to lead us in a time of prayer, specifically for blessing the Bay Area next weekend. So I don't know if you guys uh, know the history of that, that thing, blessing the Bay Area, but we started it like 10 years ago or something like that with the idea that um, we wanted to be a church that really impacted our community in ways that, that made sense to them, that they could feel and understand and know. And I think over the last 10 years, we've gotten better and better and better at that. But one of the pinnacle things that we do is we simply just take a Sunday and engage with our kingdom partners, which are, we have a list of 12 or 15 different partners in the, in the region that we work with, give money to, support vo- with volunteers, all those kinds of things. But on that particular Sunday, we help them with what they need, uh, whatever it is. So if they need weeds pulled, we're the weeds pulling people. If we need to build a porch or we need to run a kid's event or whatever we need to do, that's what we do. And we do it in the name of Jesus and, and it's, it's no strings attached. Um, we, we just pray that it creates a beautiful aroma that is uh, the, the aroma of Christ in our, our region. Of course, one day isn't enough to do that, but it is a day that we come together and do this. And so I want to pray over it. We've got some prayer point, points, and we're just going to pray together. I'm going to give you time to pray, and, and uh, you can look up. These are some ways that our team feels like, like these are ways that we really hope to pray. I'm just going to list those. And then we'll pray. So we want to pray that our people, all of us, will serve with the, the heartbeat of Jesus. Like we're not there for any reason other than just to be the hands and feet of Christ, to love people really well in our community, and to, to give them what they, they need, to serve them in the ways that they need. Two, that our kingdom partners would be helped and encouraged to continue on their mission. So we have a lot of partners out there that do really hard work and with no, not much accolade. And it's really good work for the glory of uh, Jesus. And so we just want to encourage them on that particular Sunday that their hearts would be encouraged when we show up and say, we're with you. Um, that our service in, in the region uh, results in a continuing forwarding of the, the, the kingdom of God. That's what we, we pray, is that the kingdom of God will just expand uh, more and more in our region. That real gospel conversations will happen as we're out there talking to people, working with people on Sunday, that we'll really have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, um, that relationships will be established or deepened as people serve alongside each other, both in our congregation and in the community, and that our people, all of us, would be unified as we serve uh, together. There's something, there's something about shoveling mulch together that uh, that is unifying in the name of Jesus. So, 
We're going to pray before we get started today. So I'm just going to ask you to pray over these things right where you are. I'm going to give us some time, and then I'll wrap us up in prayer in just a moment. Father, we uh, are really grateful um, to gather here each week and to worship you. And next week, as we gather in lots of different locations with the purpose of serving people uh, to demonstrate your love and your grace, um, God, I pray that you would use it. It's a feeble attempt on our part. It's, it's what we have to offer. It's like our, our five loaves and two fishes. But would you take it and would you multiply it and... Uh, Use it in the lives of people for your glory, in our lives for your glory. Help, help go before us. Um, we ask for divine appointments, those moments as people pass by on the street and we get, we get to talk to people or with homeowners or whatever, God. I just pray that you would give us the opportunity to share the, the goodness and the kindness of your son. I pray... Uh, God, that you would unify us in Christ as we serve together. And uh, most, mostly, God, I pray that your, your, your will would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right, now stand with me. We'll read Matthew chapter 17, 1 to 13. It's a pretty incredible, incredible passage of scripture. We'll read it and then uh, talk about it. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were commanded, or sorry, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. 
And the disciples asked them, then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. You can be seated. I want to talk to you today as we wrap this series up. I want to talk to you about the most unexplainable life. The most unexplainable life. And to do that, we're just going to use this passage called the Transfiguration Passage of Scripture. It's unique in so many different ways. I, I want you to think about it just from a human perspective for just a moment. So, so Peter and a couple of disciples crawl up a mountain. A lot of people think it's Mount Tabor in Israel. We don't know for sure, but a lot of people think that's what it is. And you climb up that mountain and you go there and you see uh, as you arrive there first that Jesus is transfigured, meaning that he's, he, he comes into a glorious state that is different than just uh, the human natural state. And they recognize that. But then also there is Moses and Elijah there who are long gone. This is blowing Peter's mind for sure, right? It's a miraculous event, and it is telling us one simple truth, that Jesus' life is the most unexplainable life. This event in Matthew chapter 17 is all about setting Jesus apart from the most renowned leaders in the history of Israel. He's far better, far above. He's renowned beyond them. How do we know that? Well, we get an audible voice publicly vouching for Jesus that is God himself. This is my son. Listen to him. Right? Uh, we see that in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. If you just want to take a look, he was still speaking. This is kind of makes me laugh is... Uh, it says, and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And God interrupts Peter. <laughs> like, shh, <laughs> Peter. And he says what's most important. When he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So this, the whole point of this transfiguration moment is for everyone to see that Jesus' life is the most unexplainable life. Now, I mean, the tra transfiguration, as we look at it, it, it means a lot of different things. But one of the things that we have to ask ourselves the question about is, is this. Like, what do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? So I don't know what you thought as we've, we've walked through this series. We think about Elijah, and you think about Elijah, you know, combating, fighting 400 prophets of ba Baal on Mount Carmel, calling fire down from ha heaven. I mean, it's ex unexplainable. He changes the, the political and religious tone of the entire nation of Israel in a moment. 
God uses them in incredible ways. We might look at that and we might think, that is incredible. Or we look at Elisha and we think, oh, he had the double portion of Elijah, right? And then he dies and he's only done, you know, almost a double portion of miracles of Elijah. But then somebody falls on the grave of Elijah and is, is, uh, is healed, is miraculously restored. And that's, that's uh, uh, the complete double portion. You might look at that and think, okay, that is amazing. Elijah is amazing. But why is it? that oftentimes we treat Jesus like a mascot. Why? We have a mascot view of Jesus sometimes. Like, like we're going to turn to him when we need him, but other than that, we'll pay him lip service, but he's just like this mascot in my life. Why do we think of him like that? He's got the most unexplainable life. You have to ask yourself the question, like, what do I think of Jesus? There's a couple different ways to think of Jesus in this culture and context that we live in. Uh, one is you can just ignore him. People do that. Two is that you can acknowledge him, but in a consumeristic way, so that he's like a genie in the bottle. When you need him, you rub the, rub the lamp. Or the third way is that you can look at him for who he is and say he is Lord and submit and say, I'm a doulos, I'm a servant, and I follow him, right? And there's only one right way to look at it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, uh, I just want you to hear this. Just like, just close your eyes and hear this. This is what Paul says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is first. He is, according to the scripture, large and in charge. He has always been. Everything was created through him, by him, and for him. The scripture goes on to say, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. So you have to ask yourself the question, what do you think of Jesus? I think the disciples are asking that question, like, okay, Elijah, what about this? And Jesus just says, hey, don't mention this until the resurrection happens, because people aren't going to even be able to understand it until I come out of the grave. Don't mention it until the resurrection happens, then tell everyone what you saw. His revealed glory. The transfiguration shows us the glory of Jesus. He has that glory now. It hasn't changed. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again. He deserves preeminence in our lives. He has it. It's just the question of whether or not we acknowledge it. You have to ask yourself the question. What do you think about Jesus? Jesus' life is the most unexplainable life. And there's one command that flows from this section of Scripture. As, uh, as we see in verse 5, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. All right, we're back to that thing. 
that redundant thing that we've talked about over and over and over and over again. That if we're going to live an unexplainable life, we have to hear and obey Jesus. We have to listen to him. And it brings up another question for me. What will it take? What will it take for us to decide we're going to listen to Jesus? We're going to hear him and obey him. We're not just going to treat him as a mascot, but we're actually going to think about him daily as Lord of our lives. And we're going to listen to his instruction and we're going to live, live it in obedience. What will it take? I was in a meeting this week in uh, Dallas. A guy named John Tyson was actually talking about this particular question. And he just reminded me of some things that I, th I thought, I need to remind our church of these things. Uh, the, the first part of, of this you know, answer to what will it take is, is thinking about what we've been through already in the last couple years. Like, what, what will it take? Will, will, people, will people turn and listen to God in a global pandemic or not? Will people turn and listen to God when 2.1 million young people are deconstructing their faith? Meaning, they're leaving the faith that was their parents and saying, we don't like that a lot because of the sexual ethic and a lot because of how they perceive the church has been, the church's voice has been over the last three years? Are we going to look at that in the next generation and understand they are rejecting the faith we're offering them? Is that going to be enough to turn us to Jesus, to listen to him, to hear and obey him? What about just the possibility of recession? Is that going to turn us to Jesus? What will it take? What about being more polarized than we've ever been as a country since the Civil War? Will that turn us to Jesus? Will we, will we begin to listen to him or not? I don't know. John didn't know. But what he was saying that I think is so important for us to hear is that with all those things, and you could list many other things and uh, about the time period that we've been living in and all of this, the, the good news behind it is that all of those things plus more makes the situation perfect for the church of Jesus Christ to actually bow before the Lord on a daily basis and listen to him and obey him. And it opens up the people of God when things are tough and difficult and don't make sense. It opens up people to a move of God. And if you study the history of revival in the world, you will find difficult times preceding a moment when the church says, okay, that's enough. All we need is you. And they turn and they listen. What will it take? Well, why would we listen to him? We've got Moses there in this passage. Moses there, Elijah there. Uh, the disciples are there. They're like, let's build three, three tents. Let's stay here a while. This is really, really cool. Why would we listen to Jesus? Well, it's because he's better than Moses. I mean, if, now, it, you might, that may be, mean nothing to you. 
Like, okay, it's better than Moses. Moses let, he was the chosen one. He was the one that met with God at a bush that was on fire and heard the audible voice of God. And God said, go get my people who are in captivity, have been for 400 years, and let's take them out of Israel. He said, I can't, I can't talk. He said, I'll send your brother Aaron. He does nothing but talk. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. And so they go. And he leads after plague, after plague, after plague. He leads the people of Israel, God's people, in God's providence out of Egypt. This was a prince of Egypt turned Bedouin shepherd named Moses, who God perfectly prepared to dialogue with Pharaoh and lead the people in the wilderness for 40 years. And he led them right around, past the baton, and Joshua led them into the promised land. The people of the book, of the Hebrew Bible, they look at Moses as a hero. You know the uh, Ronan that was here a few, few, few weeks ago? We did that Jewish Roots Conference. His last name is Ben Moshe. Ben Moshe, son of Moses. Why are there a bunch of Ben Moshes walking around Israel? Because Moses was the man. Okay, but Jesus is better than that. According to the scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, 1 to 6, it says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. More. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all, of God, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, why would we listen? Why would we listen to Jesus? Look, Moses, we have five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We listen to Moses. Why would we listen to Jesus more than Moses? Because Jesus is more than Moses. Moses is like, like the house. Jesus is like the one who built the house. See? Why would we listen? He's better than Moses. Why would, we, why would we listen to him? Because he's greater than Elijah. Well, Elijah was great. He's a national hero. Everybody looks, there's so many Eliehus in Israel. Some of you have kids named Elijah or Eli or Elias. He's great. He was a great man. He did great things for God. But compared to Elijah, Jesus is just so much greater. Matthew chapter 8, 27 to 29, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Other people say you're Elijah. I mean, you're doing great things, and Elijah did great things. And others, one of the prophets, and he asked him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. You're just so much better than Elijah or John the Baptist, or Moses. Why would we listen to him? Because he is the one that every unexplainable life points to. He's the one. I mean, what about Elijah? I mean, just follow the, 
the text here, you know, verse 9 of chapter 17, and they were coming down the mountain. Imagine the disciples, like, okay, we just saw the glorified version of Jesus. We were chit-chatting with Moses and Elijah. God spoke from heaven, and now we're just coming down the mountain. And Jesus commanded them, tell no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him then, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. It it was John the Baptist. Now, he's telling them, hey, remember remember Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, which we already preached in the series. You've already heard it. It's the prophecy that says he's going to come and turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children. He's going to restore all things in that way. Elijah's already come. It was, it was John the Baptist. And you know what he was doing? Matthew chapter 11, 12 to 15. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent, and the violent take it by force. For the, all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All that John did, Jesus saying he was Elijah, Jesus would go on to say, there's not many greater than John in the scriptures. All John was doing was say, repent, there's Jesus. Repent, there's the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. His unexplainable life was just pointing to Jesus. Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What makes Jesus the most unexplainable life is simply this. He, it's not even simple, but it is. He lived without sin. What? None of us have done that. No one ever on the planet ever has done that except Jesus. He lived without sin, making the only only one who was right before God, the only human walking the planet right before God. (laughs) And and he said, uh, before it ever happened, hey, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer unimaginable things. They're on their way in this Matthew 17. They're coming down the mountain to go to Jerusalem to suffer unimaginable things. I'm going to have to suffer unimaginable things. I'm going to die. I'm going to be laid in a real tomb. You're going to see me. I'll be dead, dead. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. He said all that. It's believable until on the third day, I'm going to rise. And then you're like, how do dead people rise? And so he does. He suffers unimaginable things. Suffers at the hand of the chief priest, of the, of the temple guard, of the, of the Romans, all of it. He gets nailed to a cross, brutalized even before he gets nailed to a cross. Put in a borrowed tomb because he doesn't have any place to lay his own head. And on the third day he rises and, and it's that resurrection, that raising, that, that doing what he said he would do. I mean, how many dead men do you know that said before they died, don't worry, I'm going to rise and this is what day I'll do it on, and then he does it. I mean, guys have tried, honestly. It never works. Jesus, though, 
500 eyewitnesses. People see him in the streets. They talk to him. He ascends from the Mount of Olives into heaven. Again, unexplainable. He says, don't worry, I'm going to send you my spirit. He does. Unexplainable. He's the most unexplainable life ever lived is the life of Jesus. He's the best, bar none. There's none like him. He does not deserve to be a mascot in our lives. He's Lord. He has all authority on heaven and on earth, which means, well, you know, a lot of us don't like to to submit to authority in our, our lives. He is the one you want to submit to because he has all the power and all the grace at the same time. It's unimaginable. It's so good. Now, third thing, and this is, this is really the, the, the lengthy response. Like, what do you do with all that? Understand this. Like, your unexplainable life points to Jesus. Just like Elijah's unexplainable life pointed to Jesus. Just like Elisha's unexplainable life points to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist's unexplainable life points to Jesus. Your unexplainable life points to Jesus. You may think like, uh, I don't know. Let's talk about Peter for just a moment. Okay? Peter the uh, apostle, the disciple. He is a boisterous leader of the disciples. He's probably the oldest. Um, he, we think that because he's got a mother-in-law. We know that the text says he stayed at they stayed at his mother-in-law's house in Capernaum, so he's obviously old enough to be married. He's probably the oldest. Everybody else is probably pretty young, pretty young, all those disciples. Peter is boisterous. We can see that in the text. He's zealous. He's boisterous. He's, uh, you know, here in our text, God interrupts him to say what he needs to say. He's, he's just that way. He was a fisherman, which means he's... He's like working his father's business. He's not, he's not this you know, staggering intellect that was following some great rabbi in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. He, he's not following Akiva or Hillel or Gamaliel or any of these, these rabbis famous of the day. He, he's, he's fishing. Just fishing. Okay. Jesus says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers. The man drops his net, he come follow him, because here's this rabbi that's saying, I think you can be just like me, Peter. Because that's what a rabbi is saying when he says, come follow me. That's rabbinic discipleship, is that I'm going to invest in you because I think you have the potential to be just like me. You, you can preach my message, you can, you can pray the way that I pray, you can influence people the way that I influence, you can, you can mission the way that I mission, all, all of those things. And so when he says to Peter and the others, come follow me, he's saying, you could be just like me. And they do, they follow him. Three years, they attend to him, and they experience all kinds of, of things. But it gets to the end here, and they crawl up on the Mount of Olives in this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus asks Peter and a few others to pray with him, and they keep falling asleep because they've had too much Passover wine the, the moments before, honestly, Four glasses of wine, you stay asleep, I mean stay awake uh, while you're trying to pray. So they're falling asleep. He kind of like, stay awake because this is his, he's sweating drops of blood because you know, he knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to the cross, all those things. That's, that's angst. They can't stay awake. He 
comes out. Finally, they come out from prayer. Uh, the, the temple guard shows up to arrest him. Peter, still uh, zealous, takes out his sword, like whacks the temple guard's ear off. I mean, read the text. It's like cuts his ear off. Why the ear? I, I don't know. But he cuts the ear off. Anyway, there's this like, um, what happens to me when I pause like that is there's this whole teaching going like this in my head. And I'm like, I don't have time. I don't have time. So uh, anyway, so they, they arrest him. Jesus puts the ear back on the temple, temple guard, heals his body. But also, do you know when Peter cut that ear off? He rendered him useless in, the, in temple service because he can't be deformed in any way and serve in the temple in that capacity. He gave him his life back, not just his ear back, which I want to go on and on about, but I won't. And so <clears throat> they come down the, the, the valley, the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, the priest, all that, all of these things that he stands before the leaders of the Jewish people. He stands before the leaders of the Romans. They, crucif- they, they sentenced him to crucifixion. He has done no wrong, uh, legally not uh, a legal trial. Um, he, he has, there's no evidence. There's false eyewitnesses to these accusations, all those kinds of things. But to keep the Pax Romana, the peace, Pontius Pilate washes his hands of it, gives him over to the Jews. They beat him. They make him carry his cross. But you got Peter around there still. And Peter, if you follow that, like, what's going on with Peter in that time? It's like people are coming up to Peter going, hey, you're one of those disciples. And he's like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, you're, you're, you were with him, and I can hear your accent. You're Galilean. I don't know. No. I don't even know the man. Hey, you were with him. And he curses. I don't know him. Jesus is crucified. Peter leaves. Jesus is raised on the third day. One of the uh, uh, parts, one of the accounts in the text says, he is this little phrase, it says, go get the disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? Because Peter needs Jesus really bad at that moment. Either he's full of guilt, full of shame, very confused, you know, all those kinds of things. Go get the disciples and Peter. It's the grace of Jesus. They hang with Jesus for a little bit. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, says, stay, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit at Shavuot, or Pentecost is what we call that. And just after, this boisterous fisherman, maybe the oldest, he's definitely in the inner circle, he denied Christ three times in his moment of need, he's full of guilt and shame. After he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches... In Jerusalem, in Acts 2.32, part of his sermon, I'd like to read the whole sermon, but we don't, don't have time. But Acts 2.32 is a part of that. It says, this Jesus, this is what he said to the men of Jerusalem who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This Jesus God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. Acts 2, 36 to 39. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. That's bold. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. There's the gospel. The one Jesus has been preaching all along. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know what happened? 3,000 men. We don't have the record of women and children. 3,000 men repented, received Christ, and were baptized in the mikvahs all around Jerusalem that day. That's how, that's unexplainable how a fisherman from Capernaum, the north side of the Sea of Galilee, becomes a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, and Jerusalemites, to the number of 3,000, are saved. And it doesn't end there. It just begins there. It's unexplainable. His life, though, Peter, his life just points to the most unexplainable life. And your life does the same thing thing. Do you know what Jesus taught his disciples just before the transfiguration passage in Matthew? Matthew 16, 24 and 25, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it for my sake. Do you think when Peter was watching Jesus crucified, he remembered these words? If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Do you think he felt shame and guilt because he, he, he did not stand up? He did not reveal his identity? He did not do any of those things in the minute? Yeah, I think he, think he did. But you know, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, this fisherman from the north side of the Sea of Galilee became an empowered follower of Jesus. What's the difference between Peter and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It's two different things. Two different things. The difference is impotence and power. Peter's explainable. You run from threat. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit is unexplainable and full of power. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he's walking now with Jesus in the Spirit in a way that we can too. He becomes passionate and bold for Jesus. He's imprisoned and persecuted for Jesus. Church tradition says that he's martyred for Jesus, crucified upside down. His unexplainable life points to Jesus. What about yours? So we just have these two options in life. We can live a really explainable life. The one everybody's living. Or you can live an unexplainable life. Well, what's the difference? The difference is the one that's living the unexplainable life is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way that they access the Holy Spirit is to listen to Jesus and obey him. To hear him and obey him. It's that command that he gives it to you when you... When you received Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. But I don't have better words for it but to say that you don't activate that. You don't walk in that unless you're humbling yourself before Jesus, 
the Lord of heaven and earth on a daily basis and listening to him and walking in it. That's it. Otherwise, he's just a mascot. And you will live a very explainable life with a little Jesus in your pocket that you pull out or a genie in the bottle that you rub when things get tough. Let's be people that simply get alone with Jesus every day, open his word, say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Allow him to speak to you through his word, and then obey it. It's very unexplainable. Unexplainable things will happen. And all of it is just a point to the most unexplainable life. Your life, just like any other follower of Jesus, can be utterly unexplainable for the glory of Christ and the good of people. And you don't have to work hard or behave better. You have to hear and obey. You have to access the Holy Spirit by listening to Jesus and obeying. That's it. That's it. I'm done. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father, forgive us for neglecting to listen to you. Forgive us for treating your son Jesus like a mascot. Forgive us for thinking we've got this until we don't got it. And then turning to you only in those moments. Lord, today, make us a people. Like, woo us by your spirit. I'm praying for a move of God here among these people. Lord, woo them by your spirit in such a way that they would desire nothing more than to sit in your presence and hear your voice and obey what you say to them. Lord, what will it take? We can't muster up the discipline, obviously. We pray, would you, by your spirit, woo us, empower us, draw us to your word, speak to us when we open it, show us what you want us to do and how you want us to live so that we might bring glory to your name in the culture and context, the domains that we live in, among the people that we live and work with. And that people might look at our lives and think that's unexplainable. And we might get to say, it really kind of is. Here's my story. And it all points to Jesus. God, let us bring glory to your name. You put us in this place, in this context, for a particular reason at this time. Lord, make our lives unexplainable for your glory.
help us, Lord Jesus, to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow you. Let us not be a church that just loves being together, but make us a church filled with the Holy Spirit and powerful for your glory out in the community, in the city, in the context, in our domains every day. As servants. of the king use our hands use our feet use use the the thoughts of our mind the words of our mouth the meditation of our heart all for your glory in jesus name we pray amen